0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Give to The Lord a great praise, he's worthy. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus magnify your name. We glorify you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What a wonderful God. What a magnificent savior that we serve. And just thankful to be back in his house once again and give tremendous honor to uh, your leadership in this church, the McGee family and uh, the saints of God that are here guest, whether it's your first time or it's been a while, we appreciate you being here today, and I'm thankful for what I feel in the house of God uh, here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Samuel, the 20th chapter, and uh, I guess I'll just stick with the theme today, with the principles of revival, because uh, this is another one. First Samuel 20, verse number 18. 1 Samuel 20, 18. Jonathan says to David, Tomorrow is the new moon. Thou shalt be missed because thy seat will be empty. I want to preach to you today on this thought, missing people and empty seats. Set your Bibles down, if you will, one more time and lift your hands and hearts to heaven. And let's talk to the Lord in this place. Lord, we love you we thank you for your presence that we feel in this house this this morning god i'm asking you to anoint me to preach your word the way you want it preached god anoint everyone that's here today to hear your word to receive your word and to respond to your word god touch us today speak to us god let us leave this place different than what we walked in and we will give you praise for it right now in the mighty name of jesus we pray Amen. Why don't you give him another hand clap of praise? Come on, he's worthy of it. The Bible says that clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Add a shout to your hand clap right now. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. If you know the story, David is running from Saul. Jonathan realizes the situation. But he says to David, he wants David to know, David, you're going to be missed because your seat will be empty. And what he is saying to David is not just that his natural seat, his physical seat will be empty. But he's saying, David, you're going to be missed because... No one can do what you do in the kingdom. No one can take your place. And so, David, when you're not here, you're missed because your seat is empty. And I want us to understand this morning, the same principle is true. When you're not here, you're missed because your seat is empty. And not just your spot on the pew, but no one can do what you do in the kingdom of God. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't do anything. I don't preach and I don't teach and I don't play or sing. But you need to understand that you have a purpose and you have a calling and you have a ministry in the kingdom of God. If you didn't, you wouldn't be here today. You're not here by accident. God has a purpose for your life this morning. And so I want to, for the next few moments today, I want to preach to you about the importance of the house of God in our life and the importance of us being in the house of God. In Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream. In this dream, he sees a ladder reaching from earth to heaven, angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And we know from the New Testament that that ladder was Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us in verse 16 of Genesis 28 that Jacob awakes out of this dream, out of this sleep, and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and he said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Notice Jacob makes two proclamations there. He says, This is the house of God, And this is the gate of heaven. Now, I know there's a theory in the world today that you don't need the house of God in your life to make it to heaven. But Jacob said in the first book of the Bible that the house of God is the gate to heaven. And the last time I checked, the only way to get to the the heaven is through the gate. And so if the church is the gate, then the only way we're going to make it to heaven is through the church. We need the church in our lives today. In Joshua 1 and 8, Moses has died. God has handpicked Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. And in Joshua 1 and 8, God is giving... Joshua a pep talk and we get to hear what he's saying to him and he says these words this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success Now, if you've got a smartphone or an iPad or or whatever it is you're reading your Bible on and you have the capability of doing a keyword search, type in the word success in the King James Version. And you will quickly discover that the word success is only in the Bible one time. And that amazes me because... There are stories of success in the Bible. And I believe that God wants us to be successful in our life. And so I think to myself, God, if you're only going to use the word success one time in the Bible, why would you choose Joshua out of everybody? God, why wouldn't you choose Abraham, the father of faith? Why wouldn't you choose David, a man after your own heart? Why wouldn't you choose one of the disciples that became apostles? Why wouldn't you choose one of the men and women uh, listed in face hall of fame of Hebrews 11? And, and I believe I found the answer to my question. In Exodus 33, 11, it says this, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he had turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. See, Moses would come in and talk to God. But then he would go back to the camp. Later, Aaron the high priest would come in and perform his priestly duties. But then he would leave. But the Bible records that Joshua said, I don't ever want to leave the tabernacle. I don't ever want to leave the presence of God. And I can't tell you how to be successful in the business world. You'll have to talk to Bill Gates about that. I can't tell you how to be successful in the sports industry. You'll have to talk to Tom Brady about that. But I can tell you how to be successful in the kingdom of God. You need to fall in love with this place today. You need to fall in love with the presence of God. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to spend my time. I want to be in the house of God today. David, the psalmist said in his famous Psalm 23, he ends it like this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you stop there, it almost appears that David is bragging on himself. Look at how awesome I am. Everywhere I go, goodness and mercy follow me. But that's not what David was saying. He wasn't saying it's because of what I've done or that I deserve it. But he finishes that verse. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason David could say goodness and mercy were going to follow him was because he had spent time in the house of God. And do you realize that when you come into this place and you leave today, you don't leave the same way you walked in? Goodness and mercy are going to follow you home today. Goodness and mercy are going to follow you to work tomorrow. Goodness and mercy will leave with you because you have spent time in the presence of the Almighty today. That. Psalms 26:8 says, This Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I concur with the psalmist today. I love coming to church. This is not boring to me. This is not a drag to me. This isn't something someone guilt trips me into coming to. This isn't something that someone has to beat me out of the bed in the morning to get me to come to. I love coming to the house of God because there's nowhere else on the planet that I can find God's presence in God's house with God's people than right here in this house. There's nothing more that I love than the house of God today. The psalmist said in Psalms 27:4, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I, I don't know the exact history of this psalm. I don't know exactly what this psalmist was thinking when he was writing this. I don't know exactly what he was going through. But, you know, I like to use my imagination and think that maybe uh, the psalmist was having marital problems at the time. It's a possibility. Maybe his children were acting up. Maybe they were backslid. Maybe he had just got to the doctor's uh, and the doctor gave him a bad doctor's report. Maybe uh, he just got laid off from his job and, and, and the bills were due. Maybe he was stressed out. Maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was going through all these problems. But when the psalmist took pen to parchment, he didn't address any other thing that was going on in his life. He simply said, this one thing have I desired. And this one thing will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because the psalmist understood something. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If I can just get to the house of God, God can take care of my marriage. If I can just get into his presence, God can save my family. If I could just get to his house, God can heal my body. God can bless my life. If I can just get, that's why this one thing have I desire. Because if I can get to his house, God can do the rest in my life. See, church, church is not a pastime. Church is a priority. Church can't revolve around my schedule. My schedule has to revolve around church today. There are are two scriptures in the Bible. Uh, One of them actually ends a chapter. The other begins a chapter. Uh, But in the original Bible, there were no chapters. So literally, one verse to the next says this. It says, Solomon spent seven years building the house of God. The exact next verse says, and Solomon spent 13 years building his own house. Now, some theologians believe that the reason it took him only seven years to build the house of God was because David wanted to build the house of God. And God said no. So David said, I'll stockpile the provision for my son to do it. But when I looked at the, the life of Solomon, I realized that Solomon had a heart issue. Because later in life, Solomon let his wives, he had hundreds of wives, so maybe he had a head issue too. But he he let his hundreds of wives draw him away from serving the one true God, and he started worshiping idol gods and false gods. So when I read that it took him almost twice as long to build his own house, I believe in my heart today that Solomon put twice as much emphasis on his own house as he did the house of God. And I'm not a prophet today, but I'm about to prophesy to somebody. If you ever put twice as much emphasis on anything outside of this place as you do the house of God, there is destruction in your future. If your job becomes twice as important as this place, if friends become twice as important as this place, if hobbies and pastimes become twice as important as this place, we are in a dangerous situation. This place has to be the center of our universe today. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament tabernacle when the children of Israel would stop to set up camp the first thing that they put up was not their own house. It was always the house of God. And do you know where it was located? It was always in the center of the camp. That way it did not matter who you were and it did not matter what tribe you were from. Every morning when you woke up and you pulled your tent flat back, you saw the house of God and you realized something. The God who dwells there and that place has to be at the center of my world. God help us in 2019 to put God and his house back in the center of our schedules, back in the center of our family, back in the center of our lives, back in the center of our worlds today Psalmist says in Psalms 84 and 4, blessed are they that dwell in thy house they will still be praising thee, do you realize that you are blessed to be here today and you can tell when somebody really wants to be here Bible says they'll still be praising thee You don't have to push and you don't have to prime and you don't have to cheerily. Praise just instantaneously comes from somebody that loves the house of God. And then in that same chapter, in verse number 10, he says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Now, I'm not an English major, but I realize that that is an incomplete sentence better is that in that is a day in that courts than a thousand because he doesn't tell us what the thousand is i don't think that he was using incorrect grammar i think what the psalmist is saying is it doesn't matter what the thousand is you can fill the blank in it can be a thousand vacation days a thousand days on the golf course a thousand days shopping it doesn't matter better is one day in his courts than a thousand anywhere else. And no wonder he said that. There is no place on the planet like this house. There's nowhere else on this planet that I can get what I get in this house. One moment in his presence is better than a doctor's office visit. One moment in this altar is better than a psychiatrist's couch. One sip of Jesus is better than a sip of Jack or Jim. One hit of mercy is greater than any hit of meth. I can get more here than I can get anywhere else. Better is one day in this place than a thousand anywhere else. And then he says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, I don't have the time nor the nerve to preach to you and teach to you today the job of a biblical doorkeeper. I'll let pastor do that some other time. But let me tell you this about the doorkeeper. It was a job that no one desired. But you know what the psalmist said? The psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. In other words, he said, I'd rather have the job that nobody else wants if it gets me into his presence. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have an office. I don't have to have a microphone. I don't have to have an instrument. I don't have to teach. I don't have to have anything. God, I'll take the job nobody else wants. If it gets me into your presence, that's all that matters today. Psalm 92, 13 says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. If you'll get planted in his presence, you're going to start flourishing. But it's hard to get planted if you're never here. I want to get planted in his presence. Verse 14 says that they shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. I finally have scripture for why I'm overweight today. I love the house of God so much. But he said if you'll get planted in the house of God, your life will begin to flourish. If you'll put down roots in this place, God's going to begin to flourish. And when you get planted somewhere, there's nothing that can blow you out of here. There's nothing that can distract you out of here. You're not looking for another church. You're not looking for another doctrine. Uh, When a storm comes, you're planted in his presence, and you're not going anywhere. And then he said you'll bring forth fruit in old age. When, When life is kind of giving up on you when you've retired and your your mind's not as sharp as it used to be and, and your body doesn't have that vigor anymore. The Bible says because you've planted yourself in His presence that you can still be fruitful. You can still do something for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you have put the house of God as importance in your life today. Psalmist said in Psalms 122 and 1, very Very, very popular scripture we use it to testify about. We use it to open service with. I was glad. I wasn't mad and I wasn't sad, but I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, to to find the the history of this, this psalm, we must go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy, the Lord is giving Uh, Moses the law, And, and God in Deuteronomy 23 and 3, God makes this law. He says, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even into their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. But God said, if you're an Ammonite or a Moabite, you can never go to the house of God. But God in His infinite mercy... He knew there would be Ammonites and Moabites that would intermarry with his Hebrew people. And so God said, I'm not going to judge their children forever. And so God put a clause, a mercy clause in verse number 8. He says this, the children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. Now, when I hear the word Moabite, my mind quickly goes to a story of a woman by the name of Naomi. Naomi and her husband and her two sons were living in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, Judah interpreted means the house of God, the house of bread. So they're living in a place called the house of bread. And a famine strikes the land. And Naomi and her husband and her two boys leave a place called the house of bread during a time of famine. Let me stop right there and tell you how incredibly stupid that is. You don't leave a place called the house of bread during a time of famine. Because if they don't have bread, nobody has bread. And Naomi and her husband and her boys, they leave and they go down to the land of Moab. And there her boys marry Moabite women. Her husband dies. Her two boys die. And Naomi realizes something. I should have never left the house of God. I should have never left the house of bread because I thought I was empty then, but I don't even know what empty is like until right now. And can I tell you today, if you think your life is tough right now, if you think you're hurting right now, if you think you're stressed out right now, if you think your marriage is struggling right now, you just try leaving the house of God and the house of bread. You've not seen empty yet. You've not seen hurting yet. You've not seen pain yet. You've not struggled yet. Don't leave the house of bread today. So Naomi realizes her mistake, and she says to her two in laws she says, I'm going back to my people. Going back, I should have never left. It's cost me everything. And she says to her two daughter-in-laws, you go back to your people. One of them kisses her mother-in-law, and she goes back to her people. The other, the Bible records, claved. She held tight to Naomi. And she makes this proclamation. She says, Naomi... Your God is going to be my God. Your people will be my people. And wherever you go, Naomi, I'm going to go. And you know what, Ruth? Those are powerful statements of faith. But Ruth, let me remind you, you are a Moabite. You will never be able to go to the house of God. But she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judah. There she meets a man by the name of Boaz. They fall in love, they get married, and they have a son by the name of Obed. Obed, I'm sorry to let you know, but because of who your mother is, you can never go to the house of God. Obad gets married and he has a son by the name of Jesse. And Jesse, I know you have more Hebrew blood in you than you do Moabite blood. But because of who your grandmother was, Jesse, you're never able to go to the house of God. But Jesse has a son by the name of David who's the author of Psalms 122. He's the third generation off of a Moabite Hebrew marriage. And so when David wrote, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God, he wasn't just writing something cute that we could quote thousands of years later. What David was saying was, Daddy couldn't go to the house of God. Grandpa couldn't go to the house of God. Great-grandma couldn't go to the house of God. But I'm glad I can. If we would realize that there are people in hospitals and nursing homes that don't have the ability to be here today. There are people in prison and jail cells that can't be here today. There's people in communist countries that can't go to the house of God. We would change our attitude to that of gratitude and we would say, God, I'm thankful. I'm glad I have the ability. I'm glad I have the health. I'm glad the freedom to go to the house of God in Psalms 137 Bible says by the rivers of Babylon there we sat down yea we wept when we remembered Zion now you need to understand something it wasn't just the city that they're remembering They're thinking about the house of God. They're thinking about the temple of God. And they're missing. They're they're living in captivity in Babylon. And they're thinking about the house of God. And they're sitting by a river in captivity in Babylon. And they're weeping, thinking about the house of God. And the Bible says this. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. So notice, they didn't throw their harps in the river that they're sitting by. They didn't stockpile them and burn them. But they simply said, we're not worshiping, we're weeping right now. So I'm just going to take my instrument of worship and I'm going to hang it on this willow tree. I'm not not quitting. I'm I'm not giving up. I just don't feel like worshiping God right now. I'll just hang it right here. And I'll know exactly where it's at whenever I want to come back. When things get better, I'll come back. And do you realize that that is why people backslide? Because we hang our harps on willow trees. We say, Pastor, I'm going through something at home, and, and I just I can't be faithful right now, so I'm just going to hang my, my church attendance on this willow tree. And, Pastor, uh, I got offended, and my feelings are hurting. I'm just going to hang my attendance up right here. I, I'm not quitting church. I'll be back one day whenever I get my life straightened out, and, and I get my marriage straightened out, and, and I, I'm not sick any longer. I'll come back to church. I'm not quitting. I just want to hang my prayer life up. I just want to hang my devotion time up. I just want to hang my church attendance up. I just want to hang my prayer life and my praise and my worship. I'll come back one day. But the danger with hanging your harp on a willow tree is a willow tree is one of the fastest growing trees on the planet. They grow six to eight feet in one year. So what you hang up today may be out of reach tomorrow. Well, well you hang up right now. You you say, well, it's just going to be there when I'm ready for it. But it may be too far out of reach when you decide to come back and get... Don't hang your harp on a willow tree today. I don't care what you're going through. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit coming to church. Don't stop praying. Don't stop fasting. Don't stop being faithful. And in verse 5 of that same chapter, he says, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, once again, not just the city, but the the, the temple, the tabernacle, the house of God. If I forget thee, O house of God, let my right hand forget her cunning. In other words, let my right hand forget how to do anything else. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. In other words, if there's anything that I'm doing besides coming to the house of God, let my right hand forget how to do it. If there's anything I'm doing, if I'm not praying, if I'm not witnessing, if I'm not praising and worshiping you and singing songs about you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. You know what I, what, I, what I get from these scriptures? And, 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 and please understand, I, I'm not a pet peeve preacher, but I'm going to tell you something that drives me crazy. Can I do that? It drives me crazy when on Saturday we can go to the lake, we can go fishing, we can go golfing, we can go hunting, we can go shopping, we can go to the ball games, we can do whatever we want on Saturday. And then on Monday we can go to work and we can go to school but wedged between Saturday and Monday is a day called Sunday, and I'm just too busy, I'm just too tired, and I'm just too sick to go to the house of God. As a matter of fact... If friends are keeping you out of the house of God, you either need to bring them to the house of God or you need more friends. If your family's keeping you out of the house of God, you need to be the light and bring them to the house of God. If hobbies or pastime are keeping you out of the house of God, you need to find new hobbies. If your job's keeping you out of the house of God, I think God will give you a new job with better pay and better benefits. If you'll say, God, I want to be, in your house every time the doors are open. That's why the writer of Hebrews said in 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. See the mentality of the church world today is less church in these last days. But the, the, the message of the Bible has never been more crystal clear than right now. We need more church in these last days. I'm thankful for modern technology. I'm thankful for the internet. I'm thankful for Facebook Live. It's great for people that are shut-ins and people that can't be here. But if you can be here, you need to be here. Because you cannot capture... What you feel in this place on a DVD or on a CD or watching in your pajamas at home in front of a computer, that's why the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's nothing that can replace joining in a service and worshiping God together. In First Kings 2, I'm trying to hurry. In First Kings 2, Solomon is setting up his kingdom. And as David is dying, David says something to Solomon. He says several things on his deathbed. But one of the things he says to Solomon, he says, don't forget what Shimei did to me. Now, if you don't understand who Shimei is, let me give you just a quick lesson. Shimei, when David was leaving Jerusalem because of Absalom, his son's revolt, Shimei stood on a hillside. He threw stones and he cursed at David and his people. Time goes by. Absalom is defeated. David comes back to Jerusalem to gain the throne and the crown back. And the first person to meet David was Shimei. He bows down before David and he begs for mercy. And you know what David did? David gave him mercy. Because David had been given mercy in his life. That's a good life principle. If you've ever been given mercy, you ought to be quick to extend mercy to somebody. And so David gives Shimei mercy, but on his deathbed, he says, Solomon, don't forget what Shimei did to me. So Solomon, in 1 Kings, the second chapter, he is setting up his kingdom and he calls for Shimei and he says, Shimei, I know what you did to my father, and you deserve to die, Shimei. But I'm going to do like my father did, and I'm going to extend mercy to you. And I'm going to allow you to live. But this is how you obtain the mercy, Shimei. He said, you've got to build your house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and you can never leave. The day you walk outside the walls, the day you walk through the gate, The day you pass over the brook Kidron, know that you will surely die. Your blood will be upon your own head. And Shimei might have done some stupid things, but he made a great decision that day. He said, that sounds like a great deal, king. I'll take it. And the Bible says that Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem for many days. But at the end of three years, two of his servants run away. And someone reports to Shimei, your servants are in Gath. And you know what Shimei does without thinking? Shimei packs an overnight bag. He gets on his animal. He goes outside the gate, passes through the wall, passes over the brook kidron. He goes to Gath. He gets his servants, and then he comes right back. No harm, no foul, right? But Solomon hears about it. Solomon calls for Shimei, and he says, Shimei, did we not make a deal that the moment that you ever leave this place, you're signing your own death warrant? And before Shimei could talk, because I know what Shimei was getting ready to do. He was getting ready to do like we do when we're called. He was getting ready to plead his case. But King, you don't understand. I didn't sell my house. I didn't pack up everything I owned. I didn't change locations I just went to get what was mine, and I'm back. I was only gone for a little while, king. I'm home. I'm back. There's not a, it's not a big deal. But before Shimei could speak, Solomon orders a soldier, and he thrusts the sword through Shimei, and he fell down dead on the spot. Now, some of you are saying, what does this have to do with your message today? And I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you. Every single one of us, every one of us deserve to die in this place. None of us deserve to be alive. But the king has issued a decree. And he said, I'm going to show you mercy. But this is how you obtain the mercy. You've got to build your house in Jerusalem you got to put down roots in this place. Because the day you walk outside those doors, you're breaking the mercy covenant. The day that you say you don't need a pastor any longer, the day you say you don't need church any longer, you're breaking that mercy covenant and your own spiritual death. You're signing your own spiritual death warrant when you decide that you don't need. Our lives depend upon us staying in Jerusalem our lives depend upon us staying in the house of God today. Could we all stand I want to do something different today we don't need any music just yet but we will in just a few minutes but I want everybody if they will to come to the front would you would you come I'm asking for everybody to come Here's the truth for today. Every single one of us, every one of us, have been guilty at one time or another in our life of putting things before God in His house. So here's what I want us to do on this Sunday morning of revival. I want us to pray a repentant prayer. And I want us to ask God to forgive us for ever letting anything become more important than Him and His house. I want us to pray that prayer. I want us to pray it. And you can either pray along with me or you can pray in your own words. But just make sure you're praying from not just your your, your lips, but from your heart and your mind. And ask God to forgive you. God, I'm sorry that I've ever let anything come between me and you or me and your house, God. And then when you get done praying that prayer, I want you to make a declaration to God. I want you to make a covenant with Him and say, God, from this day forward, nothing is going to become more important to me than this place. Nothing's going to be more important than you in my life. Can we pray that right now? Jesus, we stand before you right now. We bow before you right now. God, we come humbly before you. God, we come before you right now asking you, Lord, to forgive us, Lord, as we repent, Lord, for ever letting anything be more important than you in our life. God, forever letting anything else become more important than the house of God in our lives. God, we stand here today and we humbly ask you to forgive us, Lord. God, we've let, we've let family become more important. We've let friends become more important. God, we've let, we've let life become more important. We've let work and, and trying to make that dollar and trying to get extra overtime, God, and, and trying to do the things that we want to do. And we've let sports and we've let hobbies and, and we've let life become more important than you, God. And Lord, we're asking you to forgive us right now. And God, after I ask you to forgive me, Lord, I want to make a declaration right now in your presence that from this moment forward, nothing will be more important than you and your house. God, I want to put you at the center of my life just like the tabernacle was in the Old Testament. God, I want to be like the psalmist and say this one thing have I desired and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, I want to be like Joshua and I don't ever want to leave your house and I don't ever want to leave your presence. God, let me realize what Jacob did that this is the house of God and this is the gate to to heaven. Lord, let me put down roots in this place. Let me get planted in your presence uh, so my life will begin to flourish. Let me be like David and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house uh, of the Lord. God, don't let me make the mistake that Shimei did. Don't let me ever leave Jerusalem, God. Let me stay in the house of God. Let me stay in this place. God, don't let me hang my harp on a willow tree just because I'm going through something right now but Lord let me stay faithful to you let me stay faithful to your house today God, I'm asking all of this right now, Lord. I'm asking you to help me, God, because I know I'm going to be tempted at times. God, I know I'm not going to feel like coming at times. I know there's going to be distractions at times. But God, I'm asking you to strengthen me today. And God, let me be reminded of this moment. Let me be reminded of this message every time I begin to fall away from the house of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I want to I talk about one more thing before I let us go today. There is a very familiar story in the book of Luke, Luke the 15th chapter. The Bible tells us that there was a man who had two sons. And one of the sons, the youngest son, he says to his father, he says, Dad, give me my inheritance. I'm leaving. Now, you need to understand something about Uh, biblical times, for a son to ask for his inheritance while his dad was still alive. That was a slap in his face. That was a heartbreak to the father because basically what the son is saying is I wish you were dead or I wish you would die, dad. And I want you to understand something today. He won't tell you this and he won't tell you this but I'm going to tell you this. Because I'm married into a pastor's family and I spend a lot of time with pastors. My best friends are pastors. And I'm going to tell you something. When you walk outside those doors with no reason or explanation, never to be heard from again, they don't have a pizza party and rejoice that you left. It breaks their heart and it's a smack in their face. Because they have invested in you, they have prayed for you, they have preached and taught you, they have spent countless hours praying for you, they've spent sleepless nights, they've done everything, and they spend, they spend their time thinking, what could we have done differently? What did we do wrong that they left? But you know what? The father watches the son leave reluctantly. And the Bible doesn't say this, this is, just, this is the Maupin International Version, this is the M-I-V. Here's what I think happened. When the father saw the son go out of sight, I think he looked at his servants and he said, that calf that was born last night, I want somebody to stall that calf up and start fattening it. I want somebody to go downtown with my son's measurements to the tailor shop, and I want you to have the best robe that money can buy made in his size. While you're down there, I want you to go to the jewelry store and have a ring made with my son's uh, size and the family signet on it. While you're down there, somebody go to the cobbler and have shoes made in his size because my son is left today, but I believe he's coming back again. And sure enough, we don't know the time frame, but we know what, all the, what happened to the prodigal. He, he spent everything he had. He began living with pigs, and, and finally the prodigal comes to himself, and he realizes maybe daddy's house wasn't so bad after all. And the prodigal returns on that same road that the father saw him leave. He watches his son return, and the father runs to the son. Notice that. He he falls on him. He kisses him. He doesn't let what the son looks like or smells like. He looked like a pig pen. He smelled like a pig pen. But the father didn't worry about it. See, when prodigals begin coming home, we can't worry about what they look like. They're not going to look the same way they did when they left. But we've got to love them anyway. And look what the father does next. He says, kill the fatted calf. Bring the best robe. Put shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his hand. You know what the father is saying to his son? He says, my son who was dead is alive again. You know what the the actions of the father, you know what he's saying to his son? He's saying, son, you've been missed because your seat's been empty. But son, we didn't sell your seat. We didn't put your seat in storage. We didn't let anybody sit in your seat You've been gone, and no one can sit where you sit. No one can do what you did, son. And we have been anticipating and waiting for this day. And you know what I believe? I believe that this community is full of prodigals and backsliders. Missing people that need to fill these empty seats. And I believe that it's our job. And I can't preach to you the importance of the church if I can't preach to you the importance of being the church when we leave here. We need to go and find the prodigals and the backsliders, and we need to bring them home and let them know, hey, you're still missed at church. You're still missed at First Apostolic Church. Your seat's still empty. No one's sitting there. We've been waiting for you to come home. I felt God tell me some years ago in prayer that before he raptures the church, he was going to send three ways of revival to the church. One way for revival is he's going to send unchurched people, people that don't have a clue. They don't even know basic biblical stories. They don't even own a Bible. They don't, they don't even know basic songs that we take for granted. God's going to send them. Another wave of revival is he's going to send people from other denominations, people that are living for God the best of their ability, but they know there's something missing. God's going to send them here so they can hear the fullness of truth. But I felt like God told me in prayer the first wave of revival that he was going to send was prodigals and backsliders, missing people and empty seats. So here's what I want us to do before we leave this place today. I want us to leave this altar and I want us to begin laying hands on these pews. And I want us to prophesy to the pews. I want us to speak to the seats today. And I want us to begin naming people that aren't here anymore. I want us to begin naming our family members and our loved ones and our our friends and our our classmates and our coworkers and our neighbors and people we know in the community. I want us to begin laying hands on these pews and sit down in them if you want to. And say, God, they may be missing today. But Lord, I believe that you're going to send them back to this church to fill these empty seats. Can we do that right now? Can we just begin walking through this church? Come on, there ought to be a a mother right now that says this pew may be empty, but my children are going to sit here one day. There ought to be a grandparent that says this pew may be empty, but my grandbabies are going to sit here one day. There ought to be a husband or a wife. Your spouse isn't here. And you proclaim that this seat may be empty right now. Because my spouse is missing, but God's going to bring them home. Come on, call out your loved ones. Call out your children. Call out family members. There ought to be a young person whose parents aren't here. You begin saying, God, this is where my mom's going to sit. This is where my dad's going to sit. This is where my classmate's going to sit. This is where my co-worker's going to sit. Lord, this is where my neighbor's going to sit. God, give us a revival of missing people and empty seats today. God, give us a harvest of the unchurched and give us a harvest of those from other denominations, but God, also send us a harvest of prodigals and backsliders, missing people to fill empty seats today. Come on, would you boldly declare it right now? Come on, let hell know that we're meaning business today. We're not giving up on them. We're not throwing in the towel on those loved ones. We're still praying. We're still declaring. We're still believing. We speak against every principality and power of darkness in this community. We speak against the addictions that have strongholds on God's people in this community. And we get a spirit of Moses about us today and say, let God's people go. You've had them long enough. We bind every spirit. We bind every addiction in the name of Jesus. God, loose those missing people to fill these empty seats today. In the name of Jesus, we declare it by the power and authority of his word, by the power and authority of his name. God, we're asking you to send missing people to fill these empty seats today. Come on, that's it. don't just pray it. believe it right now. Believe in what you're praying for right now. Believe that God is hearing your prayer right now. Believe that God is hearing your supplication right now. Believe that He's already working. Believe that He's already sending an angel to a home right now, to a bar stool, God to a prison cell, to a rehab facility, to a place of business. He's already reaching that missing person. In the name of Jesus. I believe that there are prodigals and backsiders sitting at home right now, sitting at work right now with their phones in their hands, just saying, I wish somebody from church would text me. I wish somebody would call me. I wish somebody would Facebook me. I wish somebody would come by my house or by my place of business and just let me know that I missed. I believe that's all it would take with some of them. Just let them know that they're missed and that their seat's still empty and that there's still room for them, that they're still loved, they're still wanted in the house of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I wonder, would you find somebody to pray with right now? You've been praying for your missing people and your empty seats. Now I want you to link up with somebody in a spirit of agreement, a spirit of unity. And I want you to begin praying with them right now. Pray with them for their missing people and their empty seats. If you know them by name, call them out. If you don't, just say, God, you know who they're praying for today. God, you know who they're praying about right now. God, I'm asking you right now as we gather together in a spirit of unity. A spirit of agreement, God, touching heaven. Lord, that you're going to answer. That you're going to reach those missing people. That you're going to fill these empty seats today. Touch my brother, touch my sister. God, give us a holy boldness to reach the lost. God, help us, Lord, to reach missing people. Let our light shine in this city. Let it pierce the darkness, God.